Well, good morning. If you could turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, please. We're going to be talking about the reluctant leader this morning. Um, the first service, I was able to talk about my wife because she was sitting here in the service. But since she's not here this morning, I have to pick on somebody else. Josh has been uh, volunteering in the youth ministry ever since I was able to come on board back in September. Coming in, working with our high schoolers, helping lead uh, the small group of, of boys that we have there. And he kind of was plunking along on his guitar a little bit. Maybe going up front every once in a while, playing a little bit, uh, and just trying to get the feel of it. But uh, through some, some different circumstances... Uh, one of them being uh, Raylene Kramer having being pregnant, just having her baby this last last Thursday. You know, uh, it kind of fell upon Josh two months ago to lead the the worship music within the youth ministry. And uh, I have to tell you, I got a phone call on Friday night from Josh saying, "Jim, I don't know if I can do this or not." But you know what? And we talked. And we prayed and we said, Josh, this is obviously where God has you to be. And this is his first time. This morning was his first time being able to lead worship like that. So I want to say thank you, Josh, for taking, stepping out and being able to come up here and help lead us in worship. So thank you very much. But if you're in Daniel chapter 1, we're going to be talking about four young men who were thrust, I would imagine not willingly, into leadership positions. And if you will join me uh, silently as I read the the Scripture out loud, we're going to read through Daniel chapter 1, and then we're going to start talking about what it takes to be a godly servant of Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord and king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we open up your scripture this morning, God, I would just pray you'd give clarity of mind and of speech, that it would not be me speaking, but Lord, your spirit speaking through me into the hearts and lives of the people here this morning. We thank you for this time, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I did got to say, I, I got to share a little bit about my, my, about my wife this morning. And I wanted to start out by talking about how we weren't able to have children to, to start when we first got married. Uh, we really felt that the Lord called us to have a family, but uh, we were unsuccessful at having kids. But through just different ways that God had worked and how he touched our lives through, through different processes, and one of them being... Like we read here, somebody dropping off vegetables to our house every single week. Uh, Somehow the Lord worked that. And uh, my wife was able to to, to get pregnant. And uh, 13 years ago, uh, 12 years ago, she gave us our first son. And as I would always that person not having kids. I think most of us have been there before. If you don't have kids, you look at everybody else who has kids and you see the way that they handle them. And you kind of say, why do they do that? You know, if I was a parent, I wouldn't do things like that, right? I think all of us have been there. And then, as we as we uh, brought little Brendan home, and we were holding him in our arms, and he's screaming, crying in the middle of the night, and we're trying to figure out some way that we can get this little kid to go to sleep, we're sitting there and saying, what are we doing? We don't have any idea about how to be good parents. And i got to tell you, he's 12 years old now, and the Lord has blessed us with four other kids so that we have five, five total. Brian and Kathleen are trying to match us. I'm going to let you pass, okay? You can shoot on by if you feel like it. You know, we're still questioning. As, as, we're, as we're people who want to raise godly kids in a godly home and be godly parents, we're still like, Lord... We're really kind of at a loss of what we're here to do on that next thing. What's that next thing that this, this, this preteen is going to come up with? How do we be good parents? And it's true for, for people throughout the scripture. It's been true. God thrusts people into leadership positions and they aren't asking for it. It's Mother's Day. Let's talk about the most famous mother in all of scripture, Mary. She's 13 years old probably. And an angel comes to her and says, you're going to be the mother of the eternal God incarnate. What would happen if you got that message, moms? How am I supposed to raise? 
God's given me the responsibility of raising the Savior of the world? We think about the Apostle Paul, right? He's on his way to go and arrest the people he hates. And Jesus comes down from heaven, appears to him in vision and says, guess what, Paul? I have a different plan for your life. You're not only going to serve me, you're going to go serve the Gentiles, the people who you have been raised to hate and call dogs instead. And you're going to love them. We think about David, who was minding his business, serving his dad, taking care of the sheep out in the field. A man comes in out in the field, pours a bottle of oil over his head and says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Huh? What do you mean? I didn't ask for this. And I think this is where we find Daniel and the three other guys. If we look back at where we're sitting at in history, a little backtrack, Israel had King David, King Solomon, and they built the empire into a a great nation. It was rich. And they, they built the temple, and they were serving God, and they were doing amazing things for Him. But over time, the, the kings began to turn and rebel, and they were bringing in idol worship, and they were beginning to sacrifice their children to idols. And if over time, God finally had enough of it, and He said, I'm done with you. I'm going to judge you. But there was one king through this whole time near the end whose name was Josiah, that eight-year-old boy who was placed upon the throne, that young child who God somehow miraculously got a hold of his life and just gave him a heart for him. And he decided one day that we're going to clean up the temple and we're going to take care of the things for God. And when they found inside the temple the Scripture, God's words, God's law, he read through it and he was crushed because he saw what God had said their nation was to be and how far they had strayed. And he said, enough is enough. And I am going to turn this nation around. And he cleaned the idols out of the temple. And he brought back worship of God in the nation of Judah. And he said, we are from now on, we're going to continue to celebrate the Passover again. And he began to restore the heritage of their, the spiritual heritage of Israel once again. And he stood out amongst evil people. But he was killed in battle against uh, Egypt. And after his death, his son took over. And he wasn't qualified to be king. And then his grandson did evil in the sight of the Lord, it said. And then the, the one following him, the king after him, he did evil. And so God said, finally, it's time for the judgment. And this is where we find Daniel when it says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim of Judah into his hand and some of the vassals of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar and placed them in his treasury, and he brought back Daniel and the four others as well. And as we, if you go back to Second Kings and you read through it, there was a couple different times when Nebuchadnezzar came and took people back. And it says in total, he took ten thousand people and he just didn't grab anybody he grabbed the craftsmen he grabbed the educated he got the nobles he took the best of the land and took them out of israel left the poor and uneducated there and he took them and brought them back there so that he could do his re-education program put them in a master's degree program of babylonian culture and language 
students, if you have a problem with your prerequisites of high school, imagine if you had to learn the language of the people who killed your family and had to learn about their customs and the things they do. And the king said, I want the best of the best. They had to be good-looking, strong in stature, and wise and knowledgeable. And out of this 10,000, we have four names recorded. 10,000. And we have four. Daniel and the boys. But what made them stand out? Was it their good looks? No, everybody had good looks. Was it their wisdom? No, they were all smart. They stood out for a different reason. It kind of reminds me of when I went into to boot camp. I was, in, I was in the Navy. 20 years ago, this July, I got on an airplane in Boise, and they flew me to Great Mistakes, I mean Great Lakes, uh, Illinois. And it was, it was July the 12th, and it was 105 degrees in Chicago. 100% humidity. Just miserable. And I'm one of these punk teenagers, 18 years old, with the bangs that hang down here in the mid-90s, you know, long hair. And I'm standing there, and they had everybody line up, and they're yelling at you, you know, screaming at you like they do in the videos of boot camp. But they said, okay, we need to have a group of people here. And they are the ones who scored a high score on their ASVAB. It's the test that you take to see where you would sit in uh, being in the military. So we're going to call out a few of you guys who have a really high score. So they, they took us out. And I was, I was one of these guys that scored somehow in this higher range. And so they took us and they set us inside of this classroom. And they put us in here and they said, we're going to give you guys a special opportunity to be in a special division where you get to do different things in boot camp than everybody else gets to do. And the opportunity we are giving you this week is that you get to be in the band and the choir. So can any of you play an instrument or sing? Adrienne's not here, so don't tell her. But I raised my hand and I said, well, I sung in the the choir back in high school. So they're like, okay. So you sit there and they they have you go through this. Can you actually like carry a tune? It was basically all they wanted. They had scored good and can you carry a tune? They said, you made it. You are in this special 900 division. And I got to tell you, I think our drill instructors couldn't have been more disappointed in the group of people that they got. Why? Because you got into this business that you were going to take young men and you're going to chisel them and hone them to be great sailors of the United States Navy, and you got the nerds. You got the smart kids who can take a test and play in the band and play in the choir. And this is what you got. But this is, that's, I kind of feel like that's where Daniel was. He was in this special group. He was the the nerd class. But there's something about him that stood out that the rest of them didn't have. And I believe there's four things that we can find in the scripture that can lead us there. The first one is, is that he had a godly example to follow. He had a godly example to follow. It was but maybe 10, 11 years since Josiah had died. So Daniel being maybe 17 years old, when he was a young child, this hero king who had transformed the nation, who took a stand for what was good and what was right and what was godly, and he was able to look to him and say, there is somebody that I could model my life after. When everybody around me is not doing what God wants me to do, 
I can do like he did because he did it as well. He took the hard line. He took the road less traveled. He was able to do it. So can I. He was able to follow an example of someone who lived a godly life. Second thing, I think he knew the scripture and had a conviction that it was true and it was right to follow. When, when, those, when we read in, in, in Daniel chapter 1 about how they weren't supposed, they, they chose not to eat those vegetables, although the, the, the king's food, his delicacies, that rich food and the wine that the king drank. I read through some commentaries this week trying to figure that out. And one person says, well, it's because it wasn't kosher. It didn't fit within the dietary laws of the Hebrew people. And another person said, well, it's because it was sacrificed to idols and and their deities. And they didn't want to eat the food that those people ate. And so either way, whether it's that one or this one, Daniel had a conviction because they both are talked about in the scripture. They're both talked about in God's word. And Daniel knew that. And he said, it's it's not what I can do. I can't please my God by disobeying what he has told me that I need to follow in his word. He knew the scripture. He understood it. Third, I think he had a reliance on the supernatural. He chose to say, you know what? I'm supposed to look more healthy, fatter in face and pleasing in skin with everybody else and they're all eating this luscious food that the king himself eats and the wine that he drinks and what am I going to choose to do? I'm going to eat vegetables. Now, I can kind of relate where he's at right now. Two months ago, I started a diet. All right? I I was going to go to the father-daughter dance. I hadn't put a suit on for a couple years. I went to my closet to try to get it out and put it on. And after the fourth one that didn't fit, I said, you know, I better do something about this. So I did. And guess what? I had to cut out a lot of those nice, tasty youth ministry. You eat a lot of pizza. I had to cut out all that pizza and all that spaghetti. And my wife says that I eat, I ate like a child because I liked all the stuff my kids like. Pizza, macaroni and cheese, hot dogs, hamburgers. So it's time to change the diet a little bit. And guess what we started eating a lot more of? Vegetables. And fortunately, it's, it's kind of worked. I haven't tried those suits on yet. But he thought, you know what? I'm not going to eat those things. I'm going to do the exact opposite. And when I commit my way to the Lord, I know he's going to do an amazing thing. And I know that he's going to bless my efforts. So even though I'm just going to eat water and I'm just going to eat vegetables for 10 days, I'm going to look better than everybody else. And he did that. He had a conviction that God can work the supernatural. And number four, he wasn't alone in his struggle. He had community with him. He didn't rely on his own strength. He didn't think, I can go about this alone. They didn't think they could go about it alone. They stood together as a group, as friends, and said, I am not going to allow ourselves to fall under this. I'm going to stick with my friends and we're going to support each other and we're going to be there for each other. We're going to have each other's back. Can I ask you, are those four things a part of your life this morning? Do you have a conviction of scripture? Do you believe that the Lord can work the supernatural? Do you think in your heart that he can do amazing things? If you believe that, I want to challenge you since I'm the youth pastor, could God be calling you to doing the same thing in someone else's life? 
Could God be calling you to say, you know what? I may be unqualified. I may not fit the role. I may not look like a youth leader. But maybe God has said, I can do that. Merrill Heim, who did our prayer this morning, is one of the best youth leaders I have in the youth ministry. Him and Gary Delamotte take a group of junior high boys and they teach them the scripture every single week. I want to challenge you with that. Maybe God has called you to be able to do something like that. It's not for everybody, and I understand that. But maybe he's touching your heart. If he has, maybe come and talk to me after the service. Another way that I want to be able to say that you can get involved in this, in our in youth ministry, is that this summer we're putting together a team of hopefully 15 kids. And these 15 kids are going to be heading to Portland. And we're going to be going to downtown Portland. And we're going to be ministering to the homeless, to the needy, to the underprivileged children. And we're going to spend a week there touching these people's lives for Christ. The blind, the people that we usually, when we're walking down the street, just know to keep our blinders on and walk through because we know that they're just going to ask us for money again. We're going to go invade their world. And I want to ask you, if you want to get involved in that, we're going to be taking a special love offering at the end of the service. So as you're leaving, if you want to give, each student has to raise close to $500 to make this trip happen. So if you want to give to that, I encourage you to be able to give to that. Would you join me in prayer? Father, Lord in heaven, just thank you for the example of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Lord, even at a young age, they chose to trust your word. They chose to trust you with their lives. And Father God, as as we look to their example, Lord, and as we look to these seniors here who are going to be leaving school, many of them leaving home, to be able to pursue the life that, God, uh, you have for them. Lord, I just pray for your hand of blessing on them. I thank you for each one of them, how they were diligent in their studying and diligent in their friendships and, Lord, uh, committed to their faith. And, Lord, I would just ask that your hand would be on them. Take them from here. May they be people who find community so that they may be supported as they leave into a world that is growing constantly more anti-faith. Lord, uh, we thank you for them. We thank you for Christ who died for them, who saved them, and gave them new life. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.